You're listening to the What Do You Actually Do podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview, a useful tip or encouraging message to help you find your place in the professional world. Hello and welcome to this episode of What Do You Actually Do? My name's Kate Morris and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about studying for a PhD, science communication and working in the environment sector. Today we're joined by Aidan Healy-Hill, who's doing a PhD in atmospheric chemistry and also runs the science communication blog, Trust Me, I'm Nearly a Doctor. So Aidan, what do you actually do? Excellent question and thank you for inviting me. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I look at indoor air quality and characterise indoor air environments to assess what indoor air quality is actually like and if that poses a risk to public health. I also run the science communication blog, which you mentioned, um, which is just general articles of scientific interest to me. So what was your sort of starting point? Because you did more directly general environmental science undergrad and masters. What sort of led you more into the atmospheric side of things? And also, where did that sort of passion for communicating with the public about science come from? I started out in environmental science because that was what I was best at at school, but not necessarily what I was ultimately interested in, but it's still something of interest to me. Um, It's something I do care passionately about now that I've been to university and understand it a lot more. Going into atmospheric chemistry, that was a bit of a a curveball, really. I didn't intend to do it, Mm. but it just kind of happened. So when I was doing my master's degree, I got really interested in air pollution and how that would affect human health, and then that kind of was an offshoot from there and I thought I really want to look at atmospheric chemistry more widely um, and my supervisor was really good at finding me a place and getting me projects and everything like that so it seemed like a good opportunity to actually do PhD work and also do something that I really want to do. So where do you see it leading to in the future then? What's that? What's behind that? Ultimately research or maybe some kind of government role um, kind of influencing policy decisions that kind of thing that's something that's interesting interesting to me as well. Um, So for my undergraduate degree, I did my dissertation in environmental policy. Um, So yeah, I think that's where it's going, hopefully with some communication as well, because I really, really do enjoy science communication. Um, So yeah, I think that's where it's headed. How, for people who are less familiar with science communication as a thing, how would you define that? It's generally about making the, the scientific community more accessible to the public sphere and government spheres and people that aren't necessarily experts in the subject or don't understand it quite so well. Um, it, it does allow people to, to understand it to a greater degree. Um, it's also about communicating results. It's about actually communicating really difficult scientific ideas in a way that people will understand. So you can use it through things like Instagram or blog posts or podcasts or things like that. Um, so there are so many different kind of multimedia avenues that it's something that a lot of people can access. So, you know, studying for PhD is pretty intense, yes. takes a lot of work. <laughs> like what's motivated you to start up the blog, um, Trust Me, I'm Nearly a Doctor, because um, that must take a lot of work as well. It does. Um, so I really, really enjoy writing and I wanted a creative outlet in addition to my PhD. Obviously, writing a PhD involves writing. You write hundreds of thousands of words on a thesis. Why would I want to do more writing? But it's it's more about accessing other areas of science that I might not study myself necessarily or kind of as a tangent of what I have studied in the past. So it, it 
allows me to explore my own interests and also hopefully inspire people to follow their interests as well. And you mentioned that as well as the sort of professional research in the future, you want to keep up with the science communication. Mm -hmm. Have you got ideas about how you might do that, the kind of roles you might get into? Maybe like a hobby as it is now, or perhaps in a role in the future. So there are a lot of science communication roles that you can apply Mm. for. Um, So mainly outreach kind of things. A lot of universities have it, research communities do, research institutes do. Um, So there are a lot of opportunities out there for people that might want to pursue it in the future. So as we kind of hinted at, doing Mm. the PhD is pretty intense. What would you say the biggest challenge of, of PhD study has been so far? I'd say asking for help Mm. (laughs) Um, It's something that you might not necessarily think of straight away, but when you're at school, when you're doing undergraduate degrees, when you're doing master's degrees, you do have a lot of taught elements to it. So you have modules um, and you sit exams and you have lectures and things like that. So you are not necessarily spoon-fed information, but you are taught a curriculum, whereas as soon as you go into PhD life, that's it. You don't really have that as much. You have meetings with your supervisor whether you discuss ideas and where you want the project to go but you're not taught anything to in a formal setting mm. i mean you have people that you can go and ask things about but it's not not anywhere near as formal um so asking for help was a big thing also having to set your own work pace as well so you are having to do work in a time scale that suits your supervisor and also fits in with your life and any kind of social elements that you have you do have a lot of constraints on your time. Um, so it's it's all about kind of setting your own timeline and making things that you making sure that you do things in a really timely fashion. Because on your blog, as well as sort of giving insights into the sort of scientific things that you've been researching, it looks like you kind of have given some kind of personal insights into the process of doing a PhD mm-hmm. and advice that you would give someone else starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got any response from people who, who've read that? Not really. Um, so I've not written on my blog for quite a while. Okay. Um, it's something that I do mean to catch up with. Um, obviously, doing work yeah. has taken <laughs> a lot of priority. Um, but generally in the scientific community, if you follow people on Instagram, you find out a lot of information from scientists from a personal point of view so you hear about the research they're doing the issues that they've faced so people Mm. have had experiments go wrong and they've had to start again or they've decided to drop out of the phd entirely or they don't want to go into academia anymore or they're really really enjoying it and they want to discuss their work with you um so for instance when i've had a um when i posted a kind of ask a question style Mm. post on instagram i've had people really getting engaged with the work I'm doing oh, wow. and wanting to know more about it and wanting to know more about the issues. Oh, that's interesting. So there's a really kind of a virtual community of there people. Is, yeah. And I yeah. imagine that's kind of global as well. Absolutely. Um, so the official one is at uh, SciCommunity on Instagram right. and anyone can follow them. Um, they really, really want to get into kind of public communication, but at the moment it's more about communication within the science community. Yeah. But it's it's really good good kind of initiative to follow so again thinking about your own experience doing the phd despite the challenges what would you say you're most kind of proud of or you've most enjoyed from the process it's been quite humbling i suppose um because you go into it not knowing anything about Mm. the subject area so you go in with a little bit of a kind of general knowledge but when you continue you 
start to learn more and more and you become really knowledgeable in your area so the whole point of doing a PhD is that you become an expert in the field that you're in um, within that kind of really really small um, subset of the area that you study um, so that's that's quite a nice experience knowing that when you finish you will have pretty much all knowledge <laughs> about that subject um, but also the fact that you can set your own timeline you don't mm. have to do a nine to five you can do whatever hours you want to do you can fit it in around other stuff um, as long as you actually do the work then it's it's all good also the people that you work with people have been so friendly where i am at the mm. moment so i'm at the wolfson atmospheric chemistry labs and they are a really really nice community um so you can go to anyone it's an open plan office you can go to anyone ask any anyone anything and they'll generally help you or will point you in the direction of someone that doesn't know so it's kind of stuff that can be on the one hand a real challenge is also a real benefit yeah. of that you know that flexibility that freedom but that lack of structure and isolation mm. but then you found other ways to combat that with the social media and, yeah. and the rest of it and with the atmospheric chemistry i mean it's so topical isn't it that air pollution mm. i mean york's a really beautiful place to live but it does when you're walking around because of all those walls and everything you do and those oh those buses you do really <laughs> notice kind of oh there is so much pollution mm. um that must be really interesting to research something that you can see and feel and touch and smell and be directly affected by yeah yeah york really is the perfect case study um for air pollution more generally because it is surrounded by the high-sided buildings, the narrow roads, really, really dense traffic. Um, the pollution is just horrible. Um, yeah. So, but there are there are so many different processes going on that it's kind of impossible for one person to study. So there are so many people in a group that will study very different aspects of the same problem. Um, so yeah, it is really multi multifaceted. And are you are you studying stuff in York for your PhD, or are you doing a sort of a What's your sort of research area? I'm looking at indoor air quality. Um, so that's something a little bit different. It is affected by outside air. So yeah. you get, obviously, when people open windows or even without opening windows, you do have an infiltration of outside air going into the building. And that can cause issues, particularly if you do live in a polluted area like York or London or Beijing or Delhi or all of these kind of mega cities that do have massive pollution problems. So yeah, I'm looking at the indoor aspects of it and that can... Um, leads to kind of chemical mechanisms so uh, you'll have chemicals being emitted from certain products so any kind of personal care products or cleaning products or anything like that and they will react with each other and that will cause other chemicals to form that might be more toxic than what was there initially um, things like scented candles washing up liquid that kind of thing everything emits some kind of chemical yeah, so that's that's what my topic's on, really. Yeah. yeah, there was an article in one of the newspapers recently about scented candles, which has kind of ruined my life because I've got loads <laughs> of scented candles. And it was I'm like, <laughs> they're all apparently so toxic and it's mm. really bad. So is it is it kind of ultimately looking at the impact on human health as a result of what's that's in the air? That's what I'm interested in, yeah. Um, so I want to look at the public health aspects. That will form one part of my thesis, hopefully. Um but yeah, that's probably the bit that's most interesting to me. Sense of candles are a bit of a kind of poster boy for the air pollution community because they, they do represent a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but they smell so nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're, they're not that great for you. But, you know, we're not setting banned sense of candles. So thinking about 
other students who might want to embark on a PhD or maybe considering working the career areas that you mentioned, the sort of the research, the government work and, and sort of science communication, any advice for people thinking of going down that path? I think anyone wanting to do a PhD should consider whether that's what they genuinely want to do because it's a big it's a big commitment mm. to do a PhD. So you've got at least three years of study if you do it full-time, five years or more if you're doing it part-time. Um, so if you're working on top of that, like I did for the first year, then that can get quite intense um, and it can make either side of your work suffer. Yeah. Um, so I'd really consider that that you'd want to do it before you actually embark on it. Also, just work hard now. So if you're doing mm. like an undergraduate degree, then make sure you get the good grades and do really well in your exams. But even if you don't do as well as you wanted to, there are opportunities out there. So you can. I passed with a 2-1, did my master's, got a pass as well. Um, didn't do quite as well as I wanted to, but I still got a place. I was yeah. interviewed by lots of other places as well. Um, so that's that's a kind of big bonus that you can still do a PhD, even if you don't do as well as you wanted to um because there are groups out there that will that will take you explore what you want to study as well so doing a master's is a great opportunity to do that you can explore what you want to study further um so i did environmental science and then environmental science and management decided i wanted to look at pollution that's what led to my Mm. chemistry one um even though i didn't set out to do a chemistry degree that was the avenue went down so take an opportunity while you can yeah um anyone wanting to go into science communication as i say there are a number of roles that you can take if you want to do that so outreach get outreach experience now so i know the university of york has a lot of other um, kind of opportunities for you to do that if you wanted to um write blog posts set up your own blog write for a student newspaper do anything really um even volunteer at a local charity and say can i do some writing for you they'll probably Mm -hmm. say yes just to kind of get the name out there um there are other kind of schemes as well so it's like a um like a placement scheme i guess uh, kind of like an internship so that mm. people will um take you on to do writing for them uh, so any kind of policy advice all that kind of thing um they'll take you on and do do that kind of work experience with you and then at the end of it you'll have something that says i did yeah. this and I, I i really wanted to do that so yeah it's a it's a good career to follow lots of different areas to go into um science again just work hard now find what you're interested in and you know things are changing all the time obviously there's lots of changes in politics and all those kind of things are there any key challenges that you think students should anticipate for the sector you know what might be coming up in the future that could impact on these career areas the big b word brexit (laughs) Um, (laughs) unfortunately brexit has kind of meant that a lot of scientific funding is in the balance so a lot of the scientific funding does come from the european union or other uh, um kind of sources affiliated with the european Mm. union and now that's been put into into jeopardy the uk government has said that they'll honor any kind of um monetary agreements um into the future after brexit so there is that kind of benefit i suppose but i think the whole industry has been thrown into some kind of disarray because we don't we might not have the links the same links that we do now so there's a a vast kind of european network of uh, universities in the area that all work together and collaborate on projects and now that's kind of not over but again it's in jeopardy yeah um so i think once this period however long lasts, is out Mm. the way i think things will improve also in america at the moment you've got issues with funding for certain scientific bodies and 
some scientific evidence not being published and things like that. It's very, uh, very kind of insidious, I suppose. So I think, I think politics is playing a bigger part than maybe it should yeah. at the moment. But I think that will settle down. But that's interesting that people should have. We often advise people, oh, you know, develop your commercial awareness about the sector you want to go into. Mm. But it's also politics is having a direct impact mm. on that sector. So it's keeping an eye on current affairs as well, the bigger picture, as well as just actual scientific developments. And also some scientific areas become more fashionable than others. So yeah, if you want to be a successful scientist, follow what you want to do. But also keep in mind that your area might not be fashionable at the time you go into it. So yeah. just bear in mind that things might not go the way you want them to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite an uncertain career, yeah. I suppose. But I think, like with you, you've been open to different opportunities, mm. taken slightly different pathways. Mm. You're doing this blog and the mm. science communication on the side, so it's mm. kind of there's ways to keep yourself with more options mm. rather than just specialising 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, for more information about the career areas we've mentioned today, I'm going to actually add some relevant links to the episode description and a link to the full transcript of today's show. Uh, but thank you so much, Aidan, for joining us. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on What Do You Actually Do? This episode was hosted by myself, Kate Morris, and edited and produced by the Careers and Placements team. If you love this podcast, spread the word and subscribe. Are you eager to get more tips? Follow University of York Careers and Placements on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. All useful links are in this episode description. This has been produced at the University of York Careers and Placements. For more information, visit york.ac.uk forward slash careers.